On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are asking a question. Well, we ask a question a lot of times, but we're asking this question. Has COVID brought out the best or the worst in people, do you think? We'll discuss that one. We're also diving into the George Floyd trial. Now, it's obviously not the George Floyd trial. He's not on trial. It's the former police officer who is accused and charged of killing him. But is there any chance that that officer can get a fair trial? And does it even matter? A lot of people will say it doesn't matter. Does it? Is it important that that officer at least gets a fair trial? And can he? We'll dive into that. And a tragic story out of Russian sports. We're just discussing how this doesn't happen more often because it seems it should. We're thankful it doesn't, but it seems it should. Why not? We'll talk. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Bill Kelly, the crusher of the morning would be his wrestler name. Bill Kelly, how are you? I love St. Paddy's Day. Happy St. Paddy's Day, Scotty. Well, you know, there's a reason why Bill Kelly is on the show today, besides just the fact that he's the host of the Bill Kelly Show and he's the media king of Hamilton and we like having him on. It is St. Patrick's Day. He is a fan of all the Boston teams, which are all Irish, and, you know, we'll excuse him for that. But listen, I... I do want to bring you on, though, for a couple things today, Bill, because these are things that have been sort of percolating over the last little while, and I thought, you know, Bill is the guy to talk to about this. And let's start with this one. We know that going on right now in Ottawa is this parliamentary committee hearing thing with the Kielberger brothers, with the We Charity, that seems to just be the the scandal that goes on and on and never seems to get anywhere. And And it dawned on me. That it, I almost now believe, Bill, that when you look at Andrew Cuomo and the way he's handling his situation in the States, his scandal, and you look at Donald Trump and the way he handled scandals, and you look at Bill Clinton and the way he handled his scandals, and you look at now this one, the, the modern way, if you're a politician or somehow involved on the periphery of a political scandal, is just ignore everybody and trust that people eventually are just going to lose interest and flame out and eventually life will go back to normal. Is that too cynical or is that now the modern politics? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, and, and it depends basically on the scandal. Uh, and I, I mentioned this six months ago on my show when the Wee scandal was, I said, you know what? Nobody cares. They really don't care because it doesn't involve their lives. It doesn't involve their money. Uh, you know, did the government screw this up? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, did they show favoritism? Oh, sure they did. Absolutely. Was government money used? You bet it was. But you know what? The people that live down on Cannon Street or over on the East Mountain on East 45th Street or even in Ancaster over in you know, the Meadowlands, they don't care. They don't care. If they hated Trudeau, they hate him more. If they don't hate Trudeau, who cares? This this is not going to hurt or kill. And this is the thing I, I always find interesting about this, especially in this case, case rather, the, uh, the government, uh, you know, the opposition government, the conservatives. They pick on issues that don't relate to ordinary people. SNC-Lavalin, you bet they screwed up. But you see, that, that faded away before, you know, the, 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 the ink died on the newspapers. And this one will, too. And, and now the conservatives, like a dog with a bone, they want to make this an issue. It's not an issue with Canadian people. They don't care. They care about the economy. They care about getting vaccines in their arms. They care about how their families are going to do. And, and for the conservatives and the opposition parties to rely on this, and I'm not I'm not defending the liberals because I mean these guys are, are you know they've screwed up a hundred thousand times here I get that but it's not a relevant issue to the everyday person and if there's going to be an election in the next six or eight months it's not going to be about we it's going to be out about vaccines it's going to be about the economy and these guys the opposition guys I mean are not even focusing on that right now 
It does. And I think there's probably a lot to what you say there, that if it's not directly hitting you in the pocketbook uh, or in some other way, that probably it's easily forgettable. But I do, I look at these and I think if you look at the, and we'll use the the air quotes around scandals, but if you look at the scandals, whether it's on the left or on the right, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, whatever, the new strategy is just wait it out. And eventually people will just flame out and they'll give up. Because for what I just mentioned, because the, the the strategists, okay, are saying, all right, is this going to, is this, you know, they used to say, does, is this going to, you know, carry on Main Street? It's not Main Street anymore. It's it's the residential areas. It's the people. It's the mums. It's the soccer mums. Okay, I'm quoting Sarah Palin. God help me, Scott. But anyway, uh, it's it's how it relates to everyday people. Right now, with all the things that are going on with the, the vaccine and our kids going back to school, is it going to be a third lockdown? They don't care. They don't care about the wee scandal. And that doesn't mean it's not right. It doesn't mean it's not wrong. Uh, there was, there's a whole lot that needs to be investigated here. But the, the, the opposition parties, Scott, always pick the wrong issue. They really do. SNC-Lavalin, yeah, of course the government was involved in this. Yeah, yeah, and of course you know, they, they pressured the, the, you know, the attorney general at the time to do that. But it doesn't impact people's lives. You have to gravitate to issues that impact people's lives, and and the conservatives just don't seem to get that. They're 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 not at the wrong bone here right now, and it's not going to help them. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Spending a few minutes in the first segments here with Bill Kelly, host of the Bill Kelly Show, heard Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. till noon, right here on 900 CHML. If you miss one. You miss a lot. Don't miss one ever. Just <laughs> write it into your schedule, set your alarm, clear your day, tell your boss you want to start working at noon so you can tune in from nine until <laughs> noon and then get going. Whatever you have to do. They, I asked that too and they didn't go for it. But that's <laughs> okay too. How, <laughs> yeah, that's, how are you well, celebrating St. Patrick's Day? Right now? Uh, well, I've been up working since 7 a.m. in my basement and I haven't left. So, so far my celebration is uh, is riding the chair in the bunker and working. How about you? you know, I, I, I got a I got a different perspective on this. Well, you know, doing not you know not much of anything as as far as you know the 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 Irish thing. But my son Sean, Sean Patrick Kelly, you know, how can you be more Irish? <laughs> uh, Sean Sean lived over in Dublin for a year and a half and 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 worked in a couple of pubs there and everything else. So he gave me a whole different perspective on this. And uh, as as you know, we talk about how okay there's the march on you know Fifth Avenue in New York and there's the parades and everything else. But in Ireland, this is religion. I mean, you know, even though St. Patrick, as we all know now, was not even Irish, but I mean, the, he's the, he's a demagogue, and, and they celebrate this in such a big way. I feel so badly for the folks over there, because they're in lockdown. A lot of the pubs are in limited, some of the clothes, as a matter of fact. And and this is this is a, a kind of a bleak day, because people really want to kind of let go, and they, they're not being allowed to. It is, uh, well, you know, it's funny, Bill, you didn't know what I was going to next, but you have done a beautiful segue into uh, into where we want to go, and it's got nothing to do with St. Patrick's Day, but it's about the staying in and not being able to go out and do stuff. And, you know, we're at the one-year mark, we've just passed the one-year mark in yeah. the last few days of life under COVID. Do you think COVID has brought out the best or the worst in people? Uh, well, a little bit of both, but probably more of the worst. Uh, it's it's something we never expected. I, I think I told you this a couple of weeks ago. I was watching a rerun because they were talking about politics in the U.S. Uh, it was the Stephen Colbert show, and uh, they ran a show that he ran from. It was actually on this day, as, as we talked about it, uh, you know, a year ago, 
and he said he was in lockdown in his house. You know, they're doing the show, and he says, "This is ridiculous." He says, "You know," and they said this could last five or six weeks. That's ridiculous. Well, look at look at us now. Yeah, we're all still yep. in lockdown. Who knew this was going to come? None of us, I think, anticipated just how severe this was going to be. Uh, and and we've seen, to your point, some of the best of people, the way they have responded, and and you know, and done what they can to try to help people and. It said, okay, this is not a barrier. This is, this is something we can go around. And they've done some incredible things. But on, a, on an individual basis, this has been very, very difficult for an awful lot of people. And I, I, I get the sense, and listening to your show, I know you're getting the same thing from your listeners. We're kind of at the end of the rope here. And, and I know we're not at the end of the, the, the tunnel right now. That light at the end of the tunnel is not where we are right now. Uh, and we're concerned about this. And we're thinking, how much more of this can we take? See, I, you know, your point about we've seen a lot of people giving their best and, and doing the best. And then, you know, there are those who don't, you know, it's a funny thing about humans and about the way we operate that there can be a hundred people who do things great, but we seem to notice the jerk immediately more yeah. than the people who are all doing the good stuff. And there, there are that 1% or two or five or whatever percent you want to say who are out there being idiots, but somehow they seem to steal all the attention in the room because we notice them rather than the people who are following the rules. Well, that's always the case, right, with society. I mean, a lot of people, as verbose as they might be and as crazy as they might be, they, they, they get the headlines, and, and, and that's on us because, you know, we, we, we need to do more about that and, and filter that stuff a lot more. But I, I'm pleased and I'm proud of the way that we have responded to this and, and continue to respond to this. I mean, this has been a tough year, and there are a lot of times when a lot of us wanted to just throw up our hands and say, you know what, I've had enough of this crap. But we said, no, we got to stick to it. Okay, I'm going to continue to wear the mask. I'm going to continue to social distance. Uh, and, and, look, I think we've all been probably guilty of, I, I know we're not supposed to go out. We're not supposed to talk to but we're going to do this, but we're going to do it safely. And, and I think we've done that judiciously, and I think it's worked pretty well. Uh, you know, I, the virus is still around, but that's because we don't have the vaccine yet. And I'd like to think that sooner than later that's going to be rectified too. Yeah, you know, the one place, Bill, where I really do begin to see where, the, the, when you're talking about the worst side of people, the place that I really think that we have seen, and, and maybe I'm imagining, but seen a deterioration is on social media. I don't know what it is about be, everyone being locked up, it seems, but maybe that's your only outlet to the world. Maybe that's your only way to argue because there's nobody near you to scream at. Uh, but boy, it seems that in the last year, social media has gone from being a toxic waste dump to a toilet full of you-know-what. I mean, it is just, it's gone from horrible to horribler. Well, because pre-social media, and by the way, for your listeners, there was a pre-social media. Uh, <laughs> That's true. It, it, for the whack jobs that wanted to express their opinions, uh, the only outlet they had was maybe calling a show like yours or mine or you know, writing a letter to the editor of their local newspaper uh, sadly, a lot of those local newspapers are gone now, so that's that's not going to happen. Uh, but the, you know what? We've lowered the bar, Scott, and that's what bothers me. You know, even if somebody, for instance, let's use your example with the spectator. Somebody wrote a letter to the editor about Scott Radley's comment. That person had to sign their name. They couldn't say, I'm, you know, whatever it was, some of those idiotic names they put on there. Uh, they had to put their phone number. Not that it would be published. But, you know, the editorial board could check it and say, okay, you are responsible for this. We don't do that. Social media has no responsibility. All right? Anybody can say anything. They don't need to be experts in this. They just have, to have somebody with an opinion and, and a Twitter account. And they can put this out there. 
And there are so many people, sadly, with, you know, the tin hats and everything else, that buy into that and say, well, I saw it on, on Twitter. It must be true. It's not. But they gravitate to that. And it's, it's really skewed everybody's opinion on stuff like this. And, and we are in the age of misinformation right now. And it's, it's really scary. It has been a um, it has been an interesting time, and uh, you know, hopefully, it's nearly done. Hopefully, by this time next year, Bill, you will be fully dressed dressed in your leprechaun costume and roaming the streets singing Irish shanties as you uh, consume green beverages safely. But that's that's well, a year away. No, no leprechaun costume, but I mean, my Bruins, Patriots, and Red Sox outfits. I have a little bit of each in my outfit here. Uh, but there, by the way, those guys are all wearing green this year, so they're they're true to their colors. Always you a can, pleasure, Scott. Thanks, Bill. You can hear Bill tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. He will be bright and early on the radio, and he will be talking about great stuff, because he always does. Take a listen to him if you don't already. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The trial of the police officer who kneeled on George Floyd, and, I mean, you know the whole story from last summer, uh, you're, I, I, I'd be shocked if you weren't familiar with what I'm talking about. If not, go look it up. I'm not going to take all the time right now to explain it because everyone else knows. But that trial is in its opening stages. We're in the jury selection or they're in the jury selection process right now. It's going to get going soon. But the jury selection process, it's always an important part of a trial. But boy, it seems like it is really the crux of this one, the jury. Because I think it's a fair question to ask. Can this officer possibly get a fair trial? Now, after seeing the footage, and I'm sure you did, um, you may say, well, this doesn't even matter. Who cares if he gets a fair trial? Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's one point of view. But can this police officer, this former police officer, possibly get a fair trial? And in this case, as I say, because the footage is very public, does it even matter? Let me bring in Jamie Stevenson. She is a lawyer. She is the past president of the Hamilton Criminal Lawyers Association. Jamie, thanks for doing this today. Very much appreciate it. Of course. Great to talk to you again, Scott. So, I mean, our system and the American system too, I mean, they're similar enough, uh, is based on the premise that you are innocent until proven guilty. But I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, is that even a possibility in a case like this? It's very, very tough because, as you said in the introduction, there are very few people around who have not heard about this case. And I mean, look at us, we're Canadians and we're talking about this case. So you can see the type of international presence that the case has had. So it's, it's imagine trying to find a group of people because we're not even just talking about one or two people. We're talking about a group of people who have not heard about the case probably seen the video and already formed opinions about the case. And even if you could find 12 people plus the two alternates they want to make sure they have in case someone has to bail so they don't start over, even if you could find 14 people who fit that criteria, I think you're probably talking about 14 of the least informed people on the planet. Do you even want them judging a case like this? Well, and that's the other problem, because if somebody, if you have, if you, like you said, if you manage to find 14 people who don't know anything about this case, then I'm not sure where they're living, probably under a rock. But (laughs) that poses another challenge, because then you might not be getting the type of um, person who is informed about our society and what's going on. And so that causes a corollary problem uh, that you've just mentioned. Absolutely. 
So let, let's dive into this a little more because it's it's even more tricky than just saying, well, lots of people have seen this on TV. So therefore, because, you know, there's other cases, there's other stories that are well known that, that go to trial. And neither you nor I at this point are suggesting that he's guilty or not guilty or whatever. I mean, we like to think, again, that you're giving the person the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying he didn't do anything. But what, because what we've seen suggests guilt, so let's just get that out of the way. But let's say, and we don't know this, but let's say that during the trial, some evidence arises that throws some doubt on what was the actual cause of death or something that we haven't heard about before, or, you know, that there's a surprise that we never saw coming that could, could change our opinion, perhaps. I don't know that the people who are outside the courtroom, who are watching this thing very closely are going to hear any of that because everybody has made up their mind already. So you've still got to convince the jury, but for the general public, is there any possibility that public perception is going to change through this trial? It's always possible. And what we don't know is exactly what you said. Is there a defense? Again, presumption of innocence, particularly coming from a defense lawyer, which is what I do, of course, uh, that's, the foundation of our justice system. It's the foundation of the United States justice system. So the challenge is that even though factually what happened, what we've all seen on the camera happened, we don't know all of the other facts surrounding that incident. And so, like you said, maybe there's something in the medical records with respect to cause of death that which would surprise us that shows that in fact, the kneeling did not cause the death. I don't know this. I'm not suggesting that of it course. didn't. Of course, no, of course. But that's a possibility. Uh, maybe there is something that happened before the video started or uh, something else. Again, a piece of evidence that we don't know about or a defense that's available to the police officer who's the accused person that would change. Maybe it would change most of our minds. It might not change all of our minds, but at the end of the day, the challenge that the accused person in this particular case has is the fact that the jurors are going to come into the case with these preconceived notions and with having already formulated an opinion, which means that the defense lawyer is not going to have to just sit back and say, well, it's the crown that has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that my client is guilty. They're going to have to change the mind of those jurors who have already made their decision. And I would suggest that there's more to it than that, because we've had high profile cases. Paul Bernardo, for example, comes to mind. And if they had decided that he was not guilty, there would have been an outrage But I don't know there would have been the threat or the promise of riots or civil disobedience or the city being burned to the ground, which we've already seen that happen with this one. The jurors have to know that their verdict theoretically could cause enormous problems. They're not idiots. Absolutely. And that adds another layer of pressure and another layer of contention on those people who are selected to make this very, very, very important decision. And it's important and it's critical that the jury makes the right decision based on the law, not based on emotion, not based on fear of reprisal because of the potential for riots and uh, all of the what could happen if for some reason there is a viable defense that the jury accepts. And so, again, you have this layer of external pressures and circumstances 
that are unfortunately factoring into our judicial system, which, again, they shouldn't be there. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just before the break, Jamie, we were talking about the fact that the jurors are not idiots and they are aware of what happened beforehand with with uh, riots and with all the other stuff that goes on. That, in my mind, as a human being, if even if the defense lawyer could put a thought into your brain that maybe there's some doubt here, maybe there's something here that I didn't know about before, you start going, okay, but if I vacillate a little and I'm not 100% positive that he's innocent, I recognize what may happen if I vote not guilty. Better just to vote guilty. And if he's got to be a sacrificial lamb, he's a sacrificial lamb, but better that than seeing other people die in a riot. And that's a very big problem because, again, when we're looking at, again, the presumption of innocence, when we're looking at the standard of proof, we are using, obviously, even if we're Canadian or American, we're using the criminal standard of proof, which is not on a balance of probabilities, which is not, I think he probably did it. It is, can the Crown or the prosecutor prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this individual committed the act that he is alleged to have committed? And so again, we may see the video and we may see, okay, well, it's fairly obvious the act that was completed. It's fairly obvious what happened but the Crown also has to prove intent. They also have to prove causation. They also have to prove a, num- a number of other elements of the offense. And if a juror is afraid, uh, socially afraid, politically afraid, to make the right lawful decision and instead makes a, an emotional decision, then that is a significant problem, again, in the system, which how do we overcome that when we had a case that is going to obviously guarantee us the kind of reaction that it would if he found not guilty. How does, or, how does this officer get a fair trial? And not even necessarily not guilty. I mean, the system is designed that, that you could come back with a lesser conviction. So they could say, okay, it's not first degree murder. It's not second degree murder. We believe that he killed him, but maybe he didn't intend to kill him. So it's closer to manslaughter, which I, I, I don't know what the, I think it's third degree murder or whatever it is in the States. But I mean, you could come back with a lesser verdict, which could still cause consternation in the public. So even that's in your mind now. Do we, can we possibly go down a notch? And that's another problem because, to me, the way that the kind of publicity that this case has received, I mean, look at how we're even referring to this case. We're referring to this as the George Floyd case and the officer, the unnamed officer. I mean, we all know his name, but we're we're even talking about it by the name of the victim. And so it's, it's such a political hot button. It is such a social hot button. And that creates a problem in the judicial system, again, even if, like you said, there is a conviction for something, but not what the expectation of the general public is, are we still going to have the same reaction from the public, the majority of the members of the public? And the answer is likely yes. So again, there's no, there's not even a real middle ground here. Um, and there's not, a, there's nothing that will allow, in my humble opinion, uh, the jury to make a decision without feeling uh, that they have this other pressure on them to do, quote unquote, the right thing. The right thing in the public's mind may not be 
necessarily the right thing in terms of legality. Correct me where if I go wrong here, but uh, you're the defense attorney. You have a murder trial that you're doing. Most of the time, uh, people have an option to have be heard or be tried by a judge alone, but most of the time they're going to choose the jurors, the jury, because way easier to possibly convince one out of 12 jurors of your non-guilt than one learned judge who can see through stuff or may not be swayed or may not be convinced. But in this particular case, if you were his lawyer, would you be thinking a judge alone trial here may be a way better option? Well, and that's an interesting thing because we were actually discussing this in my office today amongst my paralegals and my associates. We were discussing, you know, when is a good time to have a jury trial versus having a judge alone? And the difficulty is that even though most of our general public are very learned, and I appreciate the theory and the thought behind the fact that we only have to convince one out of 12, really. Uh, but the challenge is that if you, in a case where you have a technical legal defense, it's almost always better to go with a judge alone if you have that option. And that's because the judge has more experience in separating themselves from the emotional impact of what they see and hear in terms of the evidence that they receive and the legal issues that they have, of course, been dealing with for a number of years. And so when you have an emotionally challenging case such as this, it's difficult to obviously make that decision. But again, talking about that from my perspective, although I've done a number of jury trials, uh, when you're looking at a very technical, when you're looking at an emotional case uh, and an emotional case in the sense that uh, the victim's well-known or the victim's vulnerable, uh, sort of all of the above apply, uh, judge alone may in those cases be a better way to go. We got to run here, but uh, one to, or zero to a hundred, a hundred being absolutely guaranteed and zero being unlikely. What's the likelihood that he's convicted? Well, I don't love to do statistics, but unfortunately, I think that the cards are stacked against him, but I don't have all the evidence and maybe his uh, defense lawyer has uh, something, some information that we don't have that uh, we're going to find out about at the trial. Jamie Stevenson, past president of the Hamilton Criminal Lawyers Association. Always love having you on. Thanks for taking some time today. Anytime. Thank you very much, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in St. Patrick's Day celebratorian guy. I don't even know how to talk about this. Mr. St. Patrick's Day. Let's do that. Let's not make up language. Let's just say it. Mr. St. Patrick's Day, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Sir, how are you tonight? I think I might have been the only one in this entire station today that was representing, that has any green on. Come on. I didn't get to see the news because I was doing the show, but Taz wasn't all bedecked in green. I don't believe any of our anchors except for myself was wearing any green today. Well, you know, that's your, that's the Irish party. Way to go. Well, like my last name's O'Neill. So what, what? That's my point. I mean, you, you are Mr. Ireland. Has to be, has to be. Way to go! Way to represent. That's good. Um, well, but, but other than O'Reilly, is there more? Is there more a uh, more Irish name than O'Neill? 
I don't think so. The only one I can think of is Patty O'Lanterns. No. Only, <laughs> I'm telling you, you look in history. I believe it. And maybe some would say O'Neill. So is there, there, there so there's got to be some Irish somewhere in the lineage, is there? Well, not that I know about. So, well, so, I mean, a serious question. How do you, because your family is from, where's your family from? My, my, you know, my parents are from Trinidad. Okay. How then do you end up with the name O'Neill in Trinidad? There's got to be some connection somewhere. Well, probably a slave boat that came across the Atlantic Ocean. Well, that could be. At some point. That, that, you know, that could be too. That's, um. <laughs> let's, let's be real here. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that, that could be the case. That, that for sure could be the case. But, Service uh, well, you know what? my friend. <laughs> Say that again? Services rendered, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just, uh, let's just say that you, for whatever reason that you have the last name, you are fully entitled to celebrate as the King of St. Patrick's Day because, uh, you've got the name. Uh, you know what? I want to ask you about something and it's not celebratory and mm-hmm. it's a tragic story. And I'm sure you, you saw this and heard this and probably saw the video of this. There was a hockey game, a professional hockey game in Russia this week and a 19 year old I don't know if he was a rookie or second year, but a young Russian hockey player got hit in the head with a puck. Now, it wasn't even shot all that hard. Like, you would think, oh, he must have taken a slap shot in the face. No, another guy was just dumping it in from center, took a little flick shot, and the other guy, the guy who got hit, was at the blue line. So it was not a bomb. But anyway, hit him in the wrong place, and he died on the ice. And it's just, it's it's an unbelievably horrible tragedy. But, you know, Baba, as I was thinking about this, you know, you think of athletes today, they are so big, so strong, so athletic, so fast. Everything is moving at such a pace. They shoot the puck and hit the ball and throw the ball and hit and tackle and everything so hard. Does it not blow you away as it does me that these things don't happen more often? Thankfully they don't, but it strikes me. It's so weird that it doesn't happen more often in these modern days of sports. Well, that's an excellent point. Um, My only retort to that would be that the athletes nowadays, for the most part, and hockey we'll we'll use as the example, because that's what we're speaking of here. They're so well protected. Uh, In some ways, I mean, there was a complaint that even goaltenders were overprotected, that they were wearing too much equipment, and and, and were actually changing the the dynamics of the game in, in terms of lack of scoring. So I would say that to you that that's probably why we don't see more serious injuries in these sports and you know that are you know as you said slap shots coming at 100 miles an hour i mean look at just last night uh, last night alone in new jersey um i'm trying to remember heart um taylor taylor, taylor taylor what's his name sabers player former mvp Oh, Taylor, Taylor Hall. Taylor, Taylor Hall, thank you. I don't know why I just had a brain freeze there. Um, it's the green beer, sorry. The, <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Hall takes a puck, a slap shot from the point, dead in right between the eyes. But if it wasn't for that half visor, right? I mean, and he had to leave the game yeah. regardless, and he did come back. But he took one right in the face. Um, but it, that half visor probably deflected the puck enough that it didn't cause more serious damage, or we might have been, you know, talking about a similar story. Well, and there was another guy, and I can't remember what team he was on, and it was either yesterday or the day before, who took a hard shot in the throat and left a giant welt right on his, like the front of his throat, and you're like, you know, half an inch either way, that breaks your Adam's apple and does all kinds of damage. Like it just, it, Bob, I agree with the equipment. I think, you know, certainly um, 
you know, equipment has evolved to the point where it is very protective. But again, it's not even just the equipment. I mean, think of how many times guys race for a puck against the boards. And you could have any one of these times someone go head first into the boards. And look, I, I, I'm, it, it almost makes me cringe to think about it. And I am so thankful that the, this happens so rarely. But it just, it's amazing to me that we don't have these stories more often and, and very thankful. But I mean, because imagine, imagine what happens to any sport. And we're talking about hockey right now, but baseball. I mean, imagine what happens in baseball the first time a pitcher takes a line drive, which happens right mm-hmm. back in the head. But yeah. rather than just yeah. getting up, he dies on the field. Well, I mean, and what would we do, right? I mean, it's the nature of the sport. I hate to be, you know, cold, but it is. I mean, the pitcher stands 60 feet, six inches away. Um, and for some reason, that's why these pitchers have been developed that when they're coming through in their motion, not to be falling off the mound, but to try and stay as much square to the batter. So, I mean, because these guys have unbelievable reflexes. I mean, these are incredible athletes that they can play a ground ball or a comebacker right away. And how many times have we said, wow, what a great defensive play by the catcher, by the pitcher there? If not, if he wasn't so alert, you're right. Something serious could have happened. It is, um, you know, I, I know it's something that, like, you never want sports to have to make the adjustments because there's been a tragedy although that seems to be the impetus for many of these things i mean you know the the rule they changed in the nhl a number of years ago uh, on icings where you no longer have to touch the puck you just have to get to the hash marks ahead of the guy and then they'll whistle it as icing because you had a number of ghastly leg injuries when guys would race in and someone would lose his balance and go in leg first and his legs would just shatter and it was horrendous and so you, you hate that it's always, it seems, one of these incidents that rec- that creates the impetus for change. You just hope and pray that one of these things is not needed to create the impetus to fix some of these issues. And I don't know what else you can fix, but before there is someone who dies on the ice and or somewhere else. Now, and you're right. If someone were to die in any of these situations that we've discussed, I'm sure there would be an overall investigation to find out, you know, you have to, you have to research and do your development and in the equipment and, you know, and, and protect the players. But let's, on the other side, the the odds of the of these stories or these incidents happening are so minute, so rare yep. that you don't want to overreact and and change too many of of the rules or you know the game or the equipment too much because it really is it's rare when these things happen. Well, I mean, look, it was back. I had to look up the year. It was two thousand nine, uh, just the, well, January of two thousand nine. You'll remember they that player for the Whitby Dunlops died in a fight. Oh yes, yes. And so we're talking now twelve years. There were none that I know of guys who died in fights before. There have been none after that I know of. But it can happen. And uh, you know, I kind of thought, oh, when that first happened. This is going to be now for whatever reason. And I mean, what I was talking about was more of a fluke or something or Murphy's law, but this is going to be the gates, the, the, the doors thrown open and we're going to see a bunch of these and it didn't. And thankfully it didn't, but you know, it, it's just, you just hope and you pray. That's all because I, again, if, if people have seen the clip of this Russian guy, you could understand it if he had taken a full wind up slap shot from 10 feet away that hit him right in the face or in the throat or something, 
it was nothing. It was an absolutely nothing play that happens 500 times every game in the NHL. So you count how many times this is going to happen over the course of a season and over the course of a career. And this is the one that, anyway, it's, uh, you, you know, what? It, and not to divert too much here, but I think we, you know, I've always said that as, as we talk about safety and sports and that kind of thing, I still think that the greatest development when it comes to safety and sports was a combination of two things. And, you know, one of my favorite sports is, is formula one and then extended to racing period, the Hans device, Yep. And the halo device in Formula One has, I mean, you're, dry, you know, you're talking about drivers that sometimes are doing up to 350, 360 kilometers per hour, which is mind-blowing, right? Yes. And getting there at incredible speeds. We've seen accidents. I mean, and you talk about sometimes things that you're like, wow, that didn't look that bad. Think about the death of Dale Earnhardt. Earnhardt Absolutely. Senior. Absolutely. Right? Like, you know, he got twisted turned up into a high bank, went, fra- you know, crashed forward into one of the high banks, and that was it. And how uh, many times have you seen that accident? A hundred. Hundreds. Hundreds yeah. of times. And that's, and again, the impetus, those things that you talked to Hans device, those things were in a lot of ways, the result of that, because people said, wait, if you can die from that, we got to do something about it. And so anyway, it's, uh, it's a terribly sad story. And as I say, it's, it's more of, it's not to be a downer. It's more of a, you know, thankful that we don't have to talk about these stories more often. I don't know how we don't, but I'm thankful we don't have to, because it's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible situation. Uh, And by the way, speaking of guys doing wacky stuff. Today is the anniversary of the Richard riots, uh, the rocket Richard riots, which by the way, some people forget Richard riots happened because rocket Richard clobbered another player, Hal Laco over the head with his stick and then punched mm-hmm. a linesman. <laughs> if you, if you did that today, you know, rocket Richard, who's held up as one of the greatest, most heroic players of all time. If you did that today, you'd be banned for your, for life. And you'd be seen as a villain rather than a hero. Anyway, different times totally different times <laughs> and then, you know and think about that that brawl didn't that not happen with the commissioner in the stands he was sitting i believe he was seated in the game that game that were the you know where the riots ensued outside of the forum that night he yeah. was at that game and was obviously abused by the montreal crowd uh just a bit yeah they didn't have replay back then so he hadn't been there who knows what happens <laughs> uh very quickly there was a report from Chris Johnson of Sportsnet on the weekend that I found fascinating and far more upbeat than what we've been talking about. And that is apparently at l- a couple, maybe more than that, of Canadian NHL teams would like to see the all-Canadian division extended beyond this season. What do you think about that idea? Well, then I, you know, I stopped watching hockey other than professional reasons. Um but see, it would be different. It would, it would, it, it would be, oh. I think the idea is not exclusively like we're seeing it, just to keep the division with the Canadian team. So you play more games against the Canadian I, opponents. I'm okay for, okay, I'm okay with that. Cause I, I will, I will accept that, you know, that there are, there is a love affair with the all Canadian teams playing each other, but not to the extent that they are this season. And I know this is a special circumstance. I realize that there are international um, travel laws that is, you know, has forced the league into becoming creative and they did come become creative. And, but 10 times is too much for me. And on top of that too, 
I, this, I may be in the minority here, but I want to see other teams. Right? I'm a fan of not just one particular team. I'm a fan of the National Hockey League. I want to see. It's a big deal when Sidney Crosby comes to town. It's a big deal when when the Buffalo when the Buffalo Sabers and I mean and not maybe not in their current state right now, but when the Sabers and the Leafs play each other. I mean they're they're separated by what uh, uh, eighty kilometers, right? And they don't get to play each other. That's as silly as the the the, the Blue Jays not playing the the Tigers more often. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you that I don't want it exclusively. Yeah. I don't want it to be just this, but I'll tell you what, given a choice of seeing more games against the Canadian opponents and fewer against the Florida Panthers, uh, you know, or whatever, I, like, I'm okay with that. And I'm that, okay. And that's, and that's okay, because you're, you're talking about, I think the Panthers are actually in the least division, so you would probably see them six times a year. So, yes, you reduce that, so maybe that, even if they were to go back to their regular to their regular um, divisions that were set. Um, and, and that you do, the, the Canadian teams are somehow, or the, the regional teams, sorry, as it's set up right now, that they do play each other maybe four times a year, as opposed to, because as it stands right now, you're only getting a home and home against Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Winnipeg, right? Um, Ottawa are, and Montreal are a little bit more often because of the division lineup. So, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm for more of this, not 10 though too much it, it is a lot although one thing i have noticed and uh maybe no one else has seen this but it does seem the start of the year it was a lot of shinny hockey where it was just whatever it, it does seem like the the hate and i say hate the, the hate in a positive way the sports hate the the intensity of these games has been picking up more lately now that you've seen these guys enough that there's some rivalry and some disgust with each other. And you know what? In sports, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, we're not talking about hate in the real life world. We're talking about it in the sports context. That's a good thing. And, and now that you've seen them play each other this many times, you know, we're, we're starting. And I think that the playoffs, even though the Canadian division has been a little wonky with some teams that should have been good, aren't, and now they're turning around and some that have been good or having a rough time, whatever. I think the playoffs are going to be excellent. I really do. I think the playoffs are going to be fantastic. Really? You know, I, I, I'm concerned about that, too. The, the fact that the Stanley Cup winner would have played two opponents outside of the 32-team National Hockey League. That's a problem. And to me, that, that I think that's, that's I, I don't know if that's a fair, you know, like, is that a real representation of the season? No, I, I'm, I'm talking about the playoffs in each division, the playoffs for the first two rounds when you're playing okay, the teams okay, that you've seen all yep. season long. Sure. There is going to be some serious, they know each other very well. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. There's going to be some animosity. I think they are going to be amazing. Now, when you get to the third round, I mean, look, guys want to win a cup, so they're going to pour everything into it. But if you've not had any experience with those guys all year, I think that the first two rounds are going to be magnificent and there's going to be a big drop-off in intensity and interest and everything else if you can get to the third round. It'll pick up again, but those first two, I think, are going to be amazing. See, I, I don't know if I agree with you there. Because I think when, you, it, the, 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 when you're facing the unknown teams, I think that's going to cause, because you just don't know enough about your opponent, that you're probably going to try and do what you do best which makes me think that they would be less defensive. You, I think you may have teams that may attack a little bit more. Now, obviously, everyone watches each other on film and video, and there's all kinds of analysis of the teams. 
But I, I think I'm wondering if if you see each other ten times a year, that you might uh, lay back a little bit more so than you know playing someone of the unknown. We shall see. Yeah, uh, right. Today, today, not just well, this week, not just St. Patrick's Day, but earlier this week was the birthday of one Bubba O'Neill. So, sir, happy birthday, happy St. Patrick's Day, all the rest. Thank you very much. Always appreciate you coming on here. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.